Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Calvary Life DFW's weekly podcast. We hope that these messages encourage and inspire you in your personal journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. This new series is called Consecrated. Consecrated. Consecration means to make or declare sacred. It means to devote to a purpose with deep solemnity or dedication. Consecration. We need to be a consecrated people. We need to be a consecrated people. So if you have your Bibles, turn into your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 8. And we're going to start reading in verse 14. And then we're going we're gonna to dive into this. And this is the story of Noah. Uh, and we're going to pick it up post-flood. So the flood happened. Noah built the ark. He and his family went into the ark. They survived. And then in verse 14, something pretty interesting happens, and it says, in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. And that's pretty amazing, but most people think that Noah was on the ark for 40 days and 40 nights. He was actually on the ark for a year. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, but him and his family were holed up in that ark for like a year. That's a long time to be with some stinky people and animals. I'm just saying. Like, he was up there for a year. And then God spoke to Noah and said, and said, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives, and bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may breed abundantly on the earth, be fruitful and multiply on the earth. And so Noah went out. And his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by their families from the ark. Verse 20, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. And he took every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. In verse 21, the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth, and I will never never again destroy every living, living thing as I have done. And then verse 22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Now, the interesting thing about this scripture verse is that this is actually the first time in the entire Bible that an altar is mentioned, the word altar. Now, there's a hermeneutical interpretive principle. Some people argue that it's not a principle. Some people say it is a principle. It's called the law of first mention, that you spend extra special attention to the first time something is mentioned in scripture because there could be some significance to it because it was mentioned the first time. And this was the first mention of the word altar in the entire Bible. And see, Noah and the ark isn't just a fun, you know, story to tell your kids, you know, about Noah and the ark. It's fun, but it's, it's not just a story. It's actually a prophetic landmark in the history of mankind. Like, Noah and the flood and the ark is an important historical landmark prophetically. In fact, in the days of Noah, in the last days it shall be as in the days of Noah. 
shall the coming of the Son of Man be. So Jesus was referring to the days of Noah and saying there's something about those days, that time, that is going to resemble the last days in my time. Right? Newsflash, if you read the Old Testament and you can't see Jesus, you're doing it wrong. Right? So when you read, when you read the Old Testament, oh, it's old. No, it's not. Jesus is up and in there. And if you find him, you'll get some crazy revelation. Jewish scholars believe that the end is found in the beginning. Right, so you can find the key to the end of things in the beginning of things, right? And so a lot of what Jesus is doing is restoring us to the original, our original purpose in mankind, which is, what is, which is, to, is, is to rule the world. It's to dominate, not dominate the world, but it's, it's dominion theology, to steward his creation. Are you with me? Are you with me? So Noah in the ark. And so Noah comes off of the ark, and he builds an altar. He builds an altar. Now, an altar for, for most of us is, is, is probably a strange concept. It's not something that we talk about. I doubt very much that you have an altar in your home. If you do, I'm probably not going to go to your house. That's just something that I'm not going to do. Like, it's a kind of a strange concept, right? We don't talk about altars. It's not something that is part of our everyday life. Um, an altar was built for blood sacrifice. That was the purpose of an altar and under the Mosaic covenant in the temple, the Jews would bring animals to sacrifice at the altar to atone for their sins. This is a big part of Jewish culture, right? To atone for their sins and the sins of their families. Abraham built four altars, four types of altars. He bought, he built an altar of praise. And so when he received his promise from God, he built an altar to praise God and to worship God. He built an altar of prayer. At Bethel, at Bethel, which means house of God. In fact, wherever Abraham pinched, pitched his tent, he also built an altar because your home should also be a place where you offer sacrifices unto God. Are you with me? So everywhere he went, he pitched his tent and he built an altar. He pitched his tent and he built an altar. He said, I live here, but I'm dedicated to God. Are you with me? Are you with me? He built an altar of peace. So when Abraham and Lot had strife, right, Abraham said what? Hey, you choose wherever you want to go, and I'll go the other direction. He sacrificed himself and said, you get whatever you want. And then after Lot left, he built an altar of peace because he was looking for peace between his brothers. He, in fact, the Bible says, seek peace with all men when, it's able, when you're able to. Are you with me? So, in fact, he built an altar, this altar of peace. And then, of course, the altar of peace provision. When he built an altar at God's discretion to offer a sacrifice unto God, that sacrifice was going to be his son, but then he found the ram in the thicket. He found Jesus, the type of Jesus in the, in the thicket, and the angel stopped his hand and said, no, do not kill your son. I have provided a sacrifice. That ram in the thicket was a shadow of Jesus. Are you with me? So he, bought, he built an altar of provision. Now, an altar is a place of sacrifice. So it's where something very valuable is given up and killed in honor of someone else. Something is always put to death on an altar. Something is always put to death on an altar. If there is no death, it's not an altar. Are you with me? Are you with me? By the way, present-day application of this is the marriage altar. 
So if you're thinking about getting married, just be prepared that it's a coming together, but it's also a death. Like people don't realize that in Christianity, when you go to a wedding, you're actually going to a funeral. And then when you're going to a funeral, you're actually going to a wedding, right? So you better be prepared to die. If you're not prepared to die, you better not get married. And all the married people said, kill me now. Yeah, listen, I'm just, I'm just keeping it 100. That's all I know how to do. Just keep it 100. If you are going to get married, it is a death and a resurrection all at the same time. Right? The two become one. Are you with me? Oh, I could preach on just that. An altar is a place of death, but it's also a place of worship and prayer and intercession. Abraham built an altar to God. Abraham had a place where he connected with God. Are you in fact, Abraham encountered God at his altar more than he encountered God in any other place that we read about. Right? It's a place of covenant. It's a place of encounter. And it's a place of transformation. Altars, and this is my first point, altars are for altering. You come to altars so that God can alter your life. Are you with me? Altars are for altering. And so we say things like, come to the altars. Or I, I think it's kind of funny. We say this sometimes when we're ministering or preaching. We're like, the altars are now open, right? Are they ever closed? Like, that's just like an, that's kind of a strange thing to say. The altars are now open. We turn a light on. Like, come on up. Like, it's kind of a weird thing to say, right? Like, I don't think they're ever closed. But altars are symbolic for a place to meet with God. And so I'm not recommending that you go home and erect a stone altar in your house. That would be really weird. Please don't do that. I didn't tell you to do that. Don't tell your friends I told you to do that. But I do think that an altar is a symbolic representation of a place that we meet with God. Right? It's, and when we come to the altar, whether it's here at church or whether it's at your home or whether it's at small group or activate life groups, you're not just coming to an altar to receive prayer. And so when we make an invitation to say, come to the altar, we're not saying just come and get people to pray for you. It's not an altar unless something dies here. It's a place of transaction. It's a place where you leave something and then you, you, you also receive something. Are you with me? It's a place where you establish a personal altar with God where he alters you. This isn't an altar unless you treat it that way. You have to build your own altar with God. Are you with me? Altars aren't outdated. They aren't old-fashioned. They're not irrelevant. In fact, the enemy still uses them. But I think the time has come for us to rebuild the old waste places. I think it's time for us to be repairers of the breach, to establish the covenants that are broken. That Listen, there is a place of intercession, and there's a place of consecration that we personally have to build with the Lord where we meet with God on a daily basis. Are you with we meet with God uh, on a regular basis? We have an altar where we put to death some things and we receive life from him. Are you with me? And so Noah built an altar. Right? And so it's important to me, like, again, I said this earlier, the Old Testament really comes alive when you see Jesus in it, right? But Noah, he hears from God, right? And he begins to build an ark. 
right? Here's from God. He builds an ark, and he's called a preacher of righteousness. And so what he did was he was preaching and calling the people of the day to repent, to repent because judgment was coming. And he built the ark, and eventually he was the only one along with his family to be saved by going onto the, going onto the ark. Are you with me? Jesus, who is the ark, right? Jesus, who is the ark, hears from God, lives a life of obedience, and then marches himself. See, listen. So the ark, the ark flows for 40 days and 40 nights. They're on the ark for a year. It crashes into a mountain, and it's broken on a mountain. Jesus walks up a mountain carrying a cross where his body is broken on top of a mountain. Are you with me? The, the, the ark had one door. There is one way to salvation. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the ark, right? Are you with me? And so Jesus puts himself on the altar and pours his blood out to sacrifice for our sins. Isn't that amazing? In the same way, us, a.k.a. Noah and his family, have to proclaim righteousness and call people to run to the ark so that they are saved from judgment as well. Why is it in the 21st century in church today, we never talk about final judgment? We never talk about heaven and hell. We never talk about the fact that, listen, is going to end up somewhere, and a lot of people that we know are not going to inherit eternal life. This is not a place where everybody just gets saved. There's a reason why it's a fight. There's a reason why it's a battle. There's a reason why we're fighting tooth and nail, because it's over souls. Jesus wouldn't have to die if everybody was going to get saved. It's his will that everybody gets saved, but we have to recognize that, listen, not everybody's going to make it to this party. Are you with me? Oh, man, we have got to see the gravity of the times, right? We've got to understand the gravity of the times that there is an ark, and we need to get people on that boat. Are you with me? So Noah gets off the boat, and the first thing he does is he builds an altar. Now, I think it's interesting because when you're reading the Scripture, there's nothing in the text that suggests that this was a request from God. So God just said, go off the boat and build an altar. And Noah's like, okay, but, or no, God says, go off the boat and then be fruitful and multiply. And Noah's like, okay, but before I do that, God, I'm going to build an altar and I'm going to sacrifice. But there was nothing in the text that says that God asked him to do this, right? Nothing states that God asked him for a sacrifice, right? The Lord responds to the sacrifice, and I love this. He says, the Lord smelled the soothing aroma and he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on the account of man. And he goes, for the intents of a man's heart are evil from his youth, but I will never destroy again every living thing as I have done. My second point, sacrifice moves God's heart. And so Noah was consecrating himself and his family and the future of humanity back to God. So Noah was standing in the gap for his family and whoever would listen to him. See, altars and sacrifices aren't built for salvation. They're built because of salvation. Noah wasn't building this thing to impress God. He was building this thing to thank God. He was making an altar, and the interesting thing was that he... Oh, we'll get to that. Wait, I'm going to get ahead of myself. Okay. My next point. So, so well, Noah, right, so he was standing in the gap for his, for his family and for the future. Jesus, right, he was standing in the gap for all of humanity. 
Are you with me? Which brings me to my third point. Sacrifice reveals gratitude. Sacrifice reveals gratitude. Sacrifice is the truest expression of gratitude. We don't hear about gratitude much anymore. I mean, it's really, it's been attacked these days. I think for the most part, we've forgotten how and why to be grateful. And gratitude is really only revealed by our actions, not our words. Like, I, listen, I love words of affirmation. I'm glad that you tell me that you love me. But if you don't show me, affirmation without action is basically just hypocrisy. Right? Try doing that in your marriage. I love you, honey. Wait, you're so wonderful to me. I am so appreciative of you. But she always is cleaning up after me. She's doing my laundry. She's doing all this stuff. And I don't do anything to express my gratitude and my thankfulness for her. That marriage ain't going to last. Are you with me? But you cannot have a relationship with anyone where gratitude isn't expressed. Right? It's impossible. The Lord was blessed, was blessed by Noah's sacrifice. It says that it was a soothing aroma. Now don't forget that Jesus, that God was upset with the world and that's why he sent the flood. He destroyed mankind and the very first thing that Noah did was offer up a sacrifice and it soothed God's heart. When's the last time you did something just to bless God? When's the last time you did something that was just because you love God and no other ulterior motive? When's the last time you did something wasn't because of a hidden agenda that I might receive something? I mean, sometimes it even works, it works its way into our giving. We give to receive rather than give to just bless. Right? And so there's an issue with gratitude in the 21st century. Now, listen, I love to bless my kids. I, I love to do it. But when my kids do something to bless me, genuinely, and we, we've been in this uh, mode lately where our girls, that get up at like 530 in the morning while we're still sleeping. We hear them fighting. And they start coloring pictures. And then they come into our room and they're, Daddy, close your eyes. I have a surprise for you. So I'm like. And then they pick up this picture and they show me this picture that they spent all morning drawing and coloring just for me. Just for me. Tora used to, when, before I, I went to work in the morning, before I could even leave, sometimes she, if she forgot to do it, she would run outside with a toy in her hand to give me a toy to bring to work. I had my own hashtag for a while. It was toy of the day. Right, and she would bring these toys. Why? Because she wanted me to have a piece with her when I was a piece of her while I was away at work. Are you with me? When's the last time you just did something just to bless God's heart, just to say thank you, God, for what you have already done for me? See, I found out, I find out that you can't you can't fabricate gratitude because eventually the entitlement is just going to come out. Right. See, Noah didn't emerge from the ark all ticked off and be like, "It's about time, God." I was in there for, and he was in there for a year. He didn't get all ticked off. He didn't say, hey, okay, great. Now what are you going to do for me? Oh, you saved me, but look at this. Now i got to start all over again. Right? He didn't say that. Like, like, but sometimes that's what we do. Oh, you saved me for this? i got to do all this work? Are you kidding me? And, and, and we, we lose our sense of gratitude, right? Nor did he blame God whenever he had a new issue or a new problem. Look what you did to me now, God. Now, And, and we don't say this, but we think it. Come on. Come on. Be real. Oh, God, why are you putting me through this? It's always God's fault. It's never the enemy. It's always God's fault. Right? We go through stuff. Are you with me? Right? Noah, his altar was built from gratitude. The very first thing he did, build an altar. Build an altar. He wasn't looking for another thing from God. 
He wasn't looking to receive something from God. He was looking to give God something. He was looking to give God something. And I think that this is a model for us today in present-day church that we've received so much from Jesus' sacrifice for us that what can we offer him? What is that gratitude for his salvation? I think we have lost the joy of our salvation. I think we have lost the magnitude of the fact that we don't have to spend eternity in hell, that we're living from eternity. I think we have lost the concept that, oh my gosh, I am saved. And if God doesn't do anything else for me in this life, that is enough. We have lost that sense of gratitude and we serve out of obligation. We serve out of duty. We serve out of our gifts or out of promotion or out of advancement. But when do we serve out of gratitude? Are you with me? I personally believe we need a revelation of the beauty of our salvation again. It's become common to us. We get to walk with God. We've been adopted. We have a spot secured for us in eternal life. We have access to his spirit. We're no longer lost. We're found. Right? Restore the joy of my salvation. See, true gratitude comes from having a right perspective of who you are in relation to God. Like David said, who, is, who am I that man is, that God is mindful of me? Who, is, who am I that he gave his life for me? It used to blow my mind when I used to think about the fact that there's billions of people around the globe who have not yet even heard the name of Jesus, but I was grown up with him in my house. I was set up to be saved. Some of you were set up to be saved. You didn't have to do a lot of work. It was right in your face. Right? All you had to do was receive it. There's some people that have to live their entire life without the grace of God. And I know this is a hard message to preach in the Bible Belt in Dallas, Texas, where everybody is a Christian. Everybody's not saved, but everybody's a Christian. It's an amazing phenomenon that happens here. But the reality is we've been set up to be saved. And if you live in this area in the Judeo Christian culture, your family is set up to be blessed. But I think for a lot of times we've forgotten to be grateful and we've just been become entitled. We go to churches based upon what they offer for offer to us. Well, they have a great kids ministry, the worship's all right, they have this, they have that. And we go through, we drive through and we look at the menu and we decide whether or not we're going to stay or leave. Rather than saying, hey, is this where God wants me? Can I serve here? Can I be a blessing here? Can I serve his kingdom here? Is this a place for me and my family to pour my life out, to put my life on an, on an altar so that people can also receive this great gift of salvation that I've gotten? Listen, where are the door holders who just want to open a door for someone to salvation? Where are the ushers? Where are the people who just want to make a pathway and make it easier for someone to come to Christ? Where has become, where has come that servant mentality where it's not about me, it's not about my gifts, it's not about my future, it's about more people getting into the boat called Jesus. Where has that happened? Where is that gone? We need Jesus to restore the joy of our salvation again. We can't forget and make it about something that it's not. It's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus. And if it's not about Jesus, we will die. It's about Jesus. Are you with me? He doesn't owe you anything. You don't get paid for being a Christian. There's no salary package. There's no compensation package for being a Christian. It's not. You with me? I just caught myself yelling again. Which brings me to my next point, that true sacrifice is costly. True sacrifice is costly. And we don't talk about the cost of Christianity a lot because in reality what we get in return far outweighs the cost. And so the cost is like nothing, right? It is, I mean, it's a good deal. 
It is a good deal. I'm an investment guy. I do business. Salvation is a good deal. Trust me. It's a good deal, right? The, the true sacrifice is costly. Noah wasn't sacrificing out of his abundance. So think about this for a second. So he had two of every kind of animal and bird and, and fish and whatever inside the boat. He must have, no, he probably didn't need to have fish, right? Because fish were in the water. He didn't need to have fish. That's pretty cool. So he didn't have to have fish, which was probably helpful. I just figured that out on my own. Yeah, this is good. Um, but he had two of every kind of animal on the boat, and they were in there for a year. So Noah controlled the animal population of the earth at that time. They were his. And they were also his livelihood. And so when he got off the boat, God said, be fruitful and multiply. Like, have these animals multiply. But the first thing he did was kill them. He was probably killing the firstborns. Because there's probably some loving going on in that boat. You know what I'm saying? I'm just saying. The boat's rocking. Don't come knocking. I'm just, I'm, okay. Get the hook. I'm just saying. The an, okay. So the animals were producing. The very first thing he probably sacrificed was the firstlings. So, G, so really what Noah was doing was he was putting his livelihood on the altar. He was putting his livelihood on the altar. He was declaring, God, I need you and your blessing and your favor more than I need anything else. And to prove that here, it's amazing that people don't tithe. Because what you're saying to God is that I really need my money more than I need your power and your grace. Money is the one thing that the world tells you that you need more than anything else, but it's the one thing that God wants more than anything else because it shows him that you trust him more than money. Are you with me? You want to break the power of money over your life? Just give it away. Let God be, let God, be God and give it away. He was putting his life in God's hands, saying, from now on, God, listen, you just destroyed the entire world with a flood. I'm yours. I don't want to jack this up at all, right? I need you more than anything else. By the way, your experience in life won't just come from what you receive from God, but also what you give back to God. Are you with me? We see this in Cain and Abel, right? Uh, Abel gave a better sacrifice than Cain did, and God blessed Abel's sacrifice, right? If convenience is your gauge for how much you will serve, it's not sacrificial. Noah was declaring that no matter what this new life brought him, he was going to live from this place of gratitude and honor to the one who saved him. Which brings me to my next point is that sacrifice precedes covenant. It's amazing that it says that God received the sacrifice, right? He received the sacrifice, it was, and then all of a sudden he made a promise, and then he established a covenant. Right? Jesus was, Jesus was sacrificed on the, on the Mount of Calvary on the cross, and then Jesus saw the sacrifice, he made a promise, and then made a covenant. We are living under that covenant of grace. Are you with me? Right? God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness have been given to us in abundance through Jesus. The gift of the Spirit has been given to us through Jesus. Provision and blessing and favor has been given, given us because of Jesus. Righteousness, joy, and peace in the fruit of the Spirit have been made available to us through Jesus in the baptism of the, of the Spirit. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Nothing else is needed. He's perfect. But the truth is, he needs to be received fully. The, bless, the blessing is there. The access is there. But it does require something on our part, mainly to receive him. And I've noticed that God will not do all that he can do unless, until we have done all that we can do. He will not give you all of him until he knows he has all of you. 
Like Jesus is not a foolish shopper. When he goes to the store, he doesn't leave what he purchased there at the store. He wants to bring it home with him. He bought, he bought you. He wants his purchase. He wants to get what he paid for. And what he paid for, he paid for all of you. Not the part of you that just comes to church on Sunday. Not the part of you who just operates in your gifts. Not the part of you who acts like a Christian on Sunday but not on Monday. He wants you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, every single week, every moment. He wants to set up residence in your heart. You are the temple of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what he wants from your life. He doesn't want a piece of you. He doesn't want you to put him on as a coat and then take him off. He is the garment. He is the robe of righteousness. He he wants you wearing him all the time, not just when it's convenient or when it's religiously obvious. Are you with me? Wasn't in my notes. But hey, you know what I'm saying. God cannot do what he wants to do until he knows he has all of you. So then let me ask you this question. Why are some believers walking in divine favor and power, walking in peace and have incredible joy and some are not? If his sacrifice is perfect, why are there some walking in purity, unoffended, demonstrating the root, root, the fruit of the Spirit, and some are not? Why are there some families appear to be blessed more than others? Has anyone ever asked, thought that question? That family appears to be so blessed. Why is mine so jacked up? Anybody? No, just me? Okay, cool. Hey. Why are some churches moving in incredible grace and unity and great power on the earth, and some are not? Why do some walk in a grace that seems impossible for others to attain? And the answer is consecration. The answer is consecration. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Consecration means to devote yourself exclusively to a particular purpose. Devotion is not five or ten minutes a day that you do before you go to work. Devotion is a lifestyle that you lead. It's a lifestyle that you lead. Devotion is revealed in the decisions that you make and the decisions that you don't make. Devotion is revealed in the priorities that, that define your life. Devotion is a lifestyle, right? It's a consecrated lifestyle that I am here for God and God alone. The person that I marry, where I work, where I live, what I give, how I serve, all come from a consecrated life. So you're thinking to yourself, well, why do I need to sacrifice when Jesus sacrificed for me? Isn't his sacrifice enough? Don't I have grace? Can I just live how I want to live in grace? It says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, Paul is speaking, brethren, by the mercy of God, Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what that will of God is, that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul urged us to become living sacrifices. And that's why he said, I die daily. What does that mean? I put myself on the altar daily. I die to my needs daily. I die to my ambitions daily. I die to my, 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 per, my pursuits daily. So, and I take up the cause of Christ. That's what he was saying. I'm a living sacrifice poured out for his blessing, for his favor. This is a very countercultural message to preach because there's a lot of people who will tell you that it's all about you. It's all about you getting yours. Walking in your calling. It's not your calling, it's his calling. You can't invite yourself, he invites you. Are you with me? discovering your gifts. They're not your gifts, they're his gifts. He gave them to you, so you have to figure out what he wants you to do with them. 
Are you with me? He said, if anyone comes after me, let him pick up his cross and follow after me. In fact, what he was saying was, why don't you pick up the thing that is killing you and bring it up and allow it to, do the, to finish the work? Are you with me? Sacrifice is the act of laying, your da- laying down your life for the glory of God, and Christianity is powerless without it. Christianity is powerless without it. Sacrifice only makes sense in the kingdom of God. Be careful who you receive advice from because the culture preaches a different message. They'll tell you to get yours, to look out for you, to look out for your family, to look out for the things that belong to you. But the kingdom preaches to seek the kingdom first and his righteousness, and then don't worry about all the other stuff will add it unto you. It talks about living a consecrated life, right? A consecrated life, which brings me to my next point is that sacrifice is true worship. Sacrifice is true worship. Worship isn't just the songs that you sing. It's a spiritual posture. Worship is revealed by the decisions that you make. It's not just something to make you feel good. It's a way that you bless God. It's not just about you. It's about what God wants to do through you. Are you with me? I'm telling you, this is a hard message to receive. Worship is a lifestyle. It's reflected by decisions and priorities, not songs. In fact, the songs, if the songs that you sing are not matching the life that you live, it's hypocrisy. And if you can't worship him in private, then why are you worshiping him in public? Worshipers who worship the Father in spirit for spirit and truth, because those are the worshipers the Father seek. I'm telling you right now, like, like church, there are times where I have to get up out of my bed in the middle of the night, and I'm not saying this to brag on me. I have to get out of my bed. I go to the front of my house, and I just begin to sing and worship in the dead of night. And you know what it is for me? It's survival. It's survival. There are times when the heaviness feels so heavy that if I don't sing it, if I don't worship it, if I don't get on my face, I can't function. Never mind as a pastor, as a man of God. I don't know about you, but I need his grace. I need his love. I need his favor. I need him operating in my life. Are you with me? And the thing is, the amazing thing is that you can never outgive him. So that's the crazy thing. We talk about what he requires from us, but you, God will never allow himself to be outdone. Are you with me? Worship is reflected by speech, by our thought life, by our pursuit. And that brings me to my next point, is that often sacrifice looks like pursuit. It's a laying down of one thing so that I can pursue another thing. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Draw near to me. Where are you, God? Where are you, God? How come you're not showing up, God? Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. The greatest gift that God can give you is himself. His presence in your everyday life. Why? Because the value of the thing that you're pursuing requires your undivided attention and commitment. Your relationship requires pursuit. Your calling requires pursuit. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you. There's often a crossroad that God brings us to that we must choose between comfort and calling. We must choose between our will and God's will. 
And if you haven't, if you haven't gotten there yet, trust me, you will, right? If you don't create a life of passionate pursuit, you'll find yourself in a life of default. Anyone have a smart TV? Smart, smart TV can do a lot of cool things, right? Right, it can do a ton of cool things, but if you don't actually program that smart TV to do the things that it was designed to do, you'll end up always watching the defaults. Many of us start only live a life of default because we have never programmed our life to God. We've never calibrated our life to God, and so we live a life of default, right? If you don't pursue God's programming for your life, you will live a life of powerless defaults. Defaults. Which brings me to my last point. Sacrifice leads to freedom. You know what God has to free us from? Might be sin. Might be bondage. But the greatest thing that he needs to free us from, what was it, Sandy? He needs to free us from us. He needs to free you from you. You are your worst enemy. Like we need to get up in the morning. I look at myself and be like, dude, get out of the way. Get out. Be gone. Sacrifice kills me so he can live through me. I don't like who I am without Christ. You probably don't either. He's not fun. I like who I am in God. I like who he's called me to be. I like who he's created me to be. I love it when I function as a, as a, as a son of God. And not as an orphan. Are you with me? Sacrifice leads to freedom. The Bible is filled with these, these if statements. God said, if you do this, then I will do this. If you do this, I will do this. If you live a life of sacrifice, you will inherit God's favor and blessing and freedom. Are you with me? God will never allow himself to be outdone. It says in Luke chapter 18, Peter said, see, we have left homes and followed you. Peter was like, hey, look at my sacrifice. I've left homes and family and followed you. And this is what Jesus said. He said to them, truly I say to you that there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom and will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come. God will not be outdone. He will not be outdone. But he wants to be the one to get glory in your life, not you. He wants to be the one to move in your life. He wants to be the one who repairs the brokenness in your life, not you. Are you with me? Do you have an altar? Do you have an altar? Do you have a place that you set up where you transact with God? See, the Lord has been challenging me on my lifestyle. And there are some things in my life that he is asking me to put on the altar and to sacrifice. There are some things that he is asking me to, to get rid of so that he can be first in my life. So that he can be first in my life. He's asking me, uh, for you men, I'm going to challenge you. He's asking me to put, my, put myself on the altar so that my family can be free. And I'm going to challenge you men, if you, don't put your, if you don't put yourself on the altar, you'll end up putting your family on the altar. If you don't put yourself on the altar, you'll end up putting your family on the altar. Is there an altar in your life? Is there an altar in your life? I, um, I was going to wrap up this message with the four areas where God wants you to sacrifice. And I began to like think of, like, okay, what are four areas where God really wants us to sacrifice? And God's like, I want all of you. 
was like, but God, there's got to be like a way for me to make it simple and uh, four areas, three keys to a better life. He's like, no, I want all of them. The Holy Spirit told me, I want all of them. And I won't stop. Like the song says, he will not relent. And we, fo- we can focus on what we're giving up or we can hope and have faith in what we're going to receive. It's time to stop playing church. It's time to stop living an unconsecrated cultural Christian life. And it's time for us to be the people that God has called us to be. It's time for us to walk in the gratitude of our salvation. I want people to see Jesus when they see me. Not my gift, not my talent, not my face anywhere. I want them to see me. And if they see me and they don't see him, I need to put myself on the altar and ask God to crucify me, get that thing out of me, so that when they see me, they only see him, so they too can get on the boat. These are perilous times. I want people to see Jesus. They don't need me. They need him. And the quicker I get out of the way, the quicker they can see him, and the quicker that we'll see the revival that we've prayed for for years. When Christians get consecrated. When Christians get consecrated. Will you consecrate yourself? Will you do it? If you'll do it, stand with me. We hope this message was impactful to you. If you would like to hear more, please remember to subscribe. For more information, you can visit our pages on both Facebook and Instagram. God bless you and have a great rest of the week.